just so good to be able to gather to worship Jesus with you this morning. And so um, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Psalm 8 is where we'll be opening up and unpacking and looking at. Before we jump in, I just want to share some good news with each of you. Uh, some of you may or may not remember a while back, a gentleman by the name of Tim Hurley came. And I got to know Tim over about four or five days, talk with him, hear his story. Our advisory board got to meet with him and hear his story as well. Um, and just heard so many good things about him. A lot of people in the City Life family already know him, uh, speak well of him. So we uh, extended a job offer to Tim as a full-time worship leader and youth leader. And fortunately, Tim said yes. So uh, starting on, and I'm, I'm so excited. I mean, we've been running at that for, it feels like forever, right? And Jesus is providing. We saw how Jesus is financially providing for us, but he's also bringing the laborers. And so I'm just encouraged on June 1st, Monday, June 1st, will be Tim's first day with us. Uh, he's going to be moving here, uh, serving Jesus with us, uh, serving as a full-time worship leader and youth leader. So his time will be kind of split in those two avenues. And so he's going to have a dual row, which is, can be a little bit challenging, but um, I'm just excited about what Jesus is going to do. So I just want to share that good news with you guys this morning, uh, let you celebrate it, pray for him. He'll be moving from Colorado here to Southwest Iowa. Um, and so um, we are gathered here today uh, to worship uh, Jesus. And my hope as we do that is that there's practical takeaways that impact and transform our life. My hope in opening up Psalm chapter 8 today is that we can see really practically that God is good, that he's the creator of all things, that his fingerprint is on his creation, and we can see how that fingerprint will help us to live life very practically as to not be consumed by life not to live under the anxieties and the weights that sometimes we can, not to have sleepless nights where you just wish you could get 30 minutes of sleep. So my hope is, really practically, we can say, man, what does it mean to follow Jesus, but not to have life consume you, but rather actually consume the life that Jesus has put before you? Um, what we'll see in this psalm is that our perspective matters. How we view life matters. Probably one of the best analogies I could think of, and I'm actually kind of proud of myself. I thought of this myself. You know, like, I, I, I said we're going to spend the summer in the Psalms, and I was really proud of myself. That was original, hopped on this uh, artistic site. Anyone throw the graphic up real quick? Andy? He, that's, that's right. Can you throw the graphic up real quick? Summer in Psalms. And I was like, man, I got this original graphic, and boom, that was up there. So that's not original by any means. I stole that from someone else, but it's fair game, right? Because it's on a free graphic web share site. This actually, I feel like, is my own analogy. And so I'm kind of proud of myself. I'm very easily proud of myself. I don't know if anybody else is in that camp, but I fall in that camp. So um, the best perspective I can give you is if you were to step outside today and look out into the heavens, you could see three miles, maybe as high as five. So you stand and you stare up, uh, not in the sun, right? Don't do that. Um, but you stand and you stare up three, three miles, maybe five. That's during the day. If you step outside at night and you were to stand and stare up, you can see 2.5 million light years. So I thought, I don't know how long a light year is, right? I don't know if you guys do. I don't. So I Googled it. And it says that one light year is equivalent to like 5.7 something miles. So if you do the math, if you step outside and look up, that's about 13 to 14 million miles 
worth of expanse that you can see. So during the day, you can see three miles. And at night, you can see 14 million miles. So perspective matters. A lot of us want to try to live life, and I get it during the joys and in the light of life, during the day, right? That's where most of us live our life. And we don't necessarily want to step into the darkness or the grief or the anxieties, but there's clarity or there is evidence of God's creation or God at work in both circumstances of life. And so my hope is that we can see sometimes God will have us go through darker moments or live through the entirety of a day so that we can more clearly see. Isn't that just a stark difference if you think about it? Three miles is compared to 14 million miles. It's important in some ways because the psalmist wrote Psalm 8 at night. Well, he might have wrote it in the morning, but he wrote it with night in mind. And it helps us to see this perspective as we apply it to our life. Like, how can we live in the fullness of life and not be consumed by life? Let's read verse 1, okay? How are we doing so far? Are we good? Okay. Yeah, I like it, Lane. Yeah. I like the enthusiasm, right? Yes. Boy, it's going to be a preacher someday. All right, verse 1. O Lord, our, o Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. So if you can imagine, David, who wrote Psalm 8, is outside, and he's seeing all these stars. 14 million miles worth of stars, and he's saying, God, how majestic is your name. How beautiful, how magnificent is your creation, like an artist, you have signed your painting and made evidence of your works, okay? Now, I just want to pause here for a second uh, and, and just kind of help us to understand what we're looking at, or maybe just confess that I'm, I'm a bit of a nerd. Nerds like me will argue about uh, theological things sometimes, and one of the things we argue about is the role or impact of God's creation upon salvation. So there's two types of revelation. I'm going to really unpack this, and you guys are already bored, but just stay with me for a second, okay? All right? There's God's general revelation, and that is what David is looking at. He's looking at God's creation, and he's attributing God this creation to God. So there is an experience that we can have in God's general revelation. We can live life and know God in a deeper, intimate way. There's God's specific revelation, that is his word, that God has put people, put it upon people's hearts to confess and point to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now, here's why this is important. I don't want any sort of mysticism where we think that by staring at a sunset, somehow we can come to salvation in Jesus Christ. We need his specific revelation. Like, we are not smart enough to conclude by looking at the stars that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. So when we have God's specific revelation and that relationship is intact, we then can step into God's general revelation and begin to understand all the more his creative order. Does that, does that make sense? You guys are like, it doesn't. Here's the main point. We need, we need scripture and God's creation can help us understand God. But we need the Bible, right? So I don't want us to say, I can set down Scripture and go in God's creation, and that's all I need. That's, I don't want any kind of mysticism like that. It's important because what I'm going to say is this, that God's creation helps. If we have Jesus, when we go out and we look at the expanse of stars, 
we begin to see that there's a creative order. Because here's what the, the author is doing. He's got this micro view. Think of it on your camera where you zoom in and you zoom out. Those of you who know how to use that, right? Some of us, one or two of us, huh? Like, I don't know, what are you talking about? You can zoom in, you can zoom out. And so right now the psalmist is zooming out. And then he zooms in. Look at verse 2. And he says this. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. You guys have heard it said that if we can live life if we understand the big picture. So what the psalmist is saying that there's a big picture and there's a little picture. And he wants us to understand that God's creative order is in both of those. And he goes to the most humble of things, and he says that an infant or baby somehow testifies to its creator. Now, this is where experience in God's creation is important. Because if all we had was God's specific revelation, then we wouldn't have the experience of love. We wouldn't have the, the relational connections we have here. I had an interesting experience. It's been about eight or ten years ago at this point. We had a neighbor, and uh, ed- educated individuals, both of them had college degrees, worked um, in, in, a, in a teaching field, uh, actually worked with Stephanie, was a co-worker, but they just happened to live by us at the same time. And they both were uh, atheists. She was probably more atheist than him. He might have been more agnostic. An atheist says there's no God, and an agnostic just kind of shrugs their shoulders and says, I don't know if there is or not. So she's an atheist. We'd have these conversations about is there God, if there was a God, how could there be a God if there's evil in the world, right? If there was a loving God, he wouldn't let bad things happen. And then there was something that was interesting that happened. They had their first kid. And suddenly, she comes back, and her worldview is kind of starting to crash. It's starting to crumble, because the worldview that she believed in was that of evolution, philosophically, that says, to each his own, or survival of the fittest. And anybody who's ever held an infant in your hand, especially if that infant is your child, knows it's not survival of the fittest. It's far from it, right? A parent would lay down your life for this kid. It doesn't make any sense when your kid is sick. God, could I change places with this kid? I would do whatever is necessary. I would give them my liver. I mean, I don't care what it takes to keep these kids healthy. It is not survival of the fittest. So here's this mom wrestling with the way that she feels because it's not going parallel to with her philosophical beliefs. And so we begin to have these conversations with her, and we say, well, God actually created us to be creative, That's why we're artists. That's why he gave us marriage. He wants us to experience the joys of love. He wants us to have a life where it points to him. He wants us to have practical experiences in his creation to help validate what his specific revelation says. And so what we do is we point her to Jesus Christ. And after probably about six months, she trusts in Jesus and believes and actually gets baptized. And then the joy of that is about a year later, her husband's baptized as well, all because of the first birth of a child made them wrestle with the philosophical belief of the creative order. And so here's what the psalmist is saying. God's creation testifies that he's the creator. So science points to God. We don't have to run from it. So there's a big picture and a micro picture. And this is where there's the wrestle starts to come in as we continue to read this. How, how are we doing so far? Are we good? 
I feel like cloudy days are just days where you just want to sit around and do nothing. And so it's hard to be engaged when someone's talking. And you guys are doing great. Like, I'm so proud of you. Like, you guys are leaning forward. You're leaning in. Um, Let's look at at verse 3. He says this, When I look at your heavens, the work of your finger, and the moon and the stars which you have set in place. So at first he had this bird's eye view. And now he, he zoomed in, and now he's zooming back out. And so he's given us perspective. But he says something that is perhaps one of our greatest pursuits, and that is to recognize the work of God in creation. And he's attributing what he's seen as to the work of God. Now, this is humbling because if you think about it, if there's 14 million miles of expanse, we could live 100 lifetimes and still never discover everything that God has created. And so we begin to get this feel of what eternity looks like or what infinite wisdom or what God's character is like because it just seems so large and so big. But then at the same time, it's kind of humbling because you realize how teeny tiny we really are. Teeny tiny. And that doesn't necessarily jive with a lot of us in our brokenness because we want to feel valuable and important. And here's what's comforting. Look in verse 4. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? So here's the psalmist. If you can imagine looking at the stars going, man, this is it's crazy. This is beautiful. Realizing that in the history of man, in the scope of time, the amount of people who have been birthed and who have been died, his moment on earth is but a little snap of the finger, and he's saying, and yet all that, God cares enough about me to know my name. God cares enough about you to know the hairs on your head. God cares enough about you to send his son to die on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. Despite his creation being as massive and incredible as it is, the most important thing about it is you. All of that is just a display of God's value and worth towards us. And that's the tension and the struggle. is because we know there's value. We know there's worth, but sin and brokenness is, is hidden. In. And so it's easy for us to get consumed with life. It's easy for us not to see the perspective. It's easy for us to say, instead of keeping my head up, hopefully, and looking towards the experience that God has for me and seeing his creative order, with depression, I'm going to close my eyes. With anxiety and fear, I'm going to lose hope. And so there's a perspective for us, church. There's a perspective I hope that we have and that is God is at work, and he's working. And we can see it in our life, even through an infant. I mean, think about, we have a God who thought it was a good idea to have puppies, and kittens, and bunnies. That's, I mean, you just think about it, that's incredible. He's, he thought it was a good idea to have infants. That's the God that we serve. And you look at all that intelligence, the way we interact with one another, you go, man, there's got to be meaning to life purpose, right? It can't just be random chance. It just happened just because. Like, we love each other way too much for that not to mean something. Do we see the importance in that? We see the perspective of it. So it doesn't matter where we are or where we are in life. My hope is that we see both the big picture and the little picture, and we can see in both instances God's work. Because here's why it's important. So that, that, that's the why, or excuse me, the how. This is the why in verse 5. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Do you see that? 
despite our sinfulness and brokenness, despite how we have treated God, despite our relationship with his creation, despite our abuse of it, God has still given us purpose. In verse 6, it says, you have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Church, do you feel the weight of that? That's probably the reason why we struggle with, is there a God? Because our relationship to him is one of, of humility. When we stand next to God, we don't, I mean, you don't even feel like you're in the same room. We feel so teeny tiny, and here God has given us dominion, and that's where a lot of us practically get consumed with life. Because we're trying to live life, we're trying to fix broken things in a broken system, and so we can be, get consumed but this is the why. Because God has given you purpose. So my, the reason why I don't want you to be consumed with life is because God has given you a purpose for life. And that is to take his work and care for it. God created this world, and he didn't just spin it into existence and step back and say, you guys are all your own now. Go figure it out. Instead, he created this world, and he said, you are my children whom I love. I will give you my spirit to do the work that I'm asking you to do. So basically, I'm willing to do everything. I just want you to be a part of the experience. And like our friend who begins to recognize that there is a God through love, we begin to recognize that there is a God through the experience of love. God's creation is intended to testify that he's the creator. He has given you a purpose in his creation to carry out his work. The greatest evidence that there is a God, perhaps, one of the greatest evidence, is your creative order in his creation. It's insane if you think about it. You look at throughout the world, throughout the universe, somehow humans are at the top of that pecking order. As much as we might love animals... As much as you guys might value animals, you're still more valuable than an animal. That, that is, to me, insane in a lot of ways. You guys are more valuable than all the values of the world. You're more valuable than all the riches of the world put together. If you were to take all the diamonds, all the gold, all the wealth, encompass all of that for all of human history, one human being is still more valuable than all that put together because God has attributed wealth to you. Because in Genesis 1, he said, let us make man in our image, and we'll give them dominion. Because God has created the world in the way he did, because he loved you and gave you his image, you have purpose and value. My hope is that we see both the big picture and the little picture in that, so that we don't get stuck in a dark place in our life and not see how more clearly we can see God. We can see that sin and brokenness isn't powerful enough to swallow up death. Instead, love and the light of Jesus Christ can pierce darkness and give us clarity. We want to live in the fullness of a day. I get it. I do. I love those joyous moments. But sometimes what we need more clearly is God to put us in that, that season where we go, man, this is, this is a difficult season, if I'm honest. Like, this is hard. I feel like life is consuming me today. And if we simply, figuratively, metaphorically, look up with hope, we can see God at work. And we can say, God, that is crazy, the amount of people you have redeemed. Because a lot of times in our joy, we tend to celebrate by ourselves, But in our suffering, we tend to go, man, this is, God, you're, you're working. 
And so that begins to show us what Jesus did on the cross. Because we see where he gave us rule over his animals. As the psalmist begins to unpack this, he's out there perhaps in the field and he's seeing everything. He says, you've given us all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and the beasts of the field and the birds of heaven and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the, the paths of the sea. That's what you're in charge of. That's what we're in charge of. And so we say, why shouldn't we be consumed with life? It's because Jesus has given you purpose to live that life. And if you become consumed with life, who's going to care for it? Jesus is putting you in charge of that in some sense. You have a kingdom, if you will, a, do, a dominion in which Jesus has called you to. He has gifted you specifically for a purpose to carry out his mission. And so when we begin to get bogged down in that, our view, our perspective matters. And he backs back up in verse 9. He says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So he's looked at everything, looked at humanity, looked at himself, and then just says, wow, God, this is, this is insane. This is crazy. And so as we look at this psalm and we apply it to our life, I would say that there's probably two principal applications that I would hope for us, maybe two great pursuits, and that is first this, that God is at work. And if we're going to live a life of any meaning, of any purpose, we're going to have to see God's work in our life, both redemptively through his son, Jesus Christ, to forgive us for our sins, but then also he's restoring our life and he's called us to purpose. So we see God's work in our life, and then we live out the purpose of God's work in our life. And that is probably the, the greatest avenue of revitalization, of joy in our life, is to participate in the work of God, to recognize that the Creator is at work, to know that when we are feeling consumed, Jesus Christ is still at work. It doesn't matter how dark it is. He's still at work. So we recognize his work and then pursue his work. That's the principal application of this church. And sometimes it's all about perspective. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you're working. I thank you that you didn't just spin this world into existence and take your hands off and say, I'm done with these people. I can't believe what they've done. Look how broken they are. Look at the mess in their life. Instead, you said, I love these people. These are my sons and my daughters. Lord, you loved us so much that you held us in your hands and you sent your son to die on the cross so that we could live eternally with you and for you. Lord, I thank you for that grace. I thank you that you're a creator. I thank you that you're a restorer. I thank you that you're a redeemer. I thank you that you love us. I thank you that we don't have to wait till eternity to experience your love. We can experience that love right here today. Lord, I pray that you would be with those who walked in here today feeling consumed by life. I ask that you would help them with their perspective and say, you're just trying to show them more clearly the work of your hand. We want to live in the joy and the happiness, but we know sometimes we can get caught up in that. We get caught up in the moment. 
And so, Lord, I pray that you would reveal to, to those who are grieved, those who are hurting, what they need. Lord, I pray that your grace would be sufficient for them. In this moment, they could feel the love of a father flowing in their heart and their mind, that they could feel release from the anxieties and the fear that they've brought here. I ask that you would push back the lies that Satan is trying to get them to believe, that they would know that they are a son and daughter who has purpose and meaning. You have called them to live a life of purpose and meaning. Lord, we praise you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.